Hi, I'm Darren Peppard. Welcome to the Leaning into Leadership podcast, the podcast dedicated to today's hardworking leader. Join me every Sunday for leadership insight, inspiration, and a little pep talk to keep you rolling down your road to awesome. Hey, everybody. Welcome into the Leaning Into Leadership podcast. This is episode number 121, and my guest on the show is Eric Francis. Man, welcome to February, folks. Can you believe it? You know, whether the groundhog saw his shadow or not, I am willing spring into existence. We sat through a tremendous amount of snow and a tremendous amount of cold the entire month of January here in eastern Nebraska, and I am ready for the springtime to get here quickly. Now, is that realistic? No, but that doesn't mean that I'm not going to keep positive thoughts in my head and be thinking about getting that warmer weather coming at us right around the corner. Now, let's talk about episode number 121. As I said, Eric Francis is my guest on the show. And if you don't know Eric, let me tell you this. He is the go-to guy when it comes to depth of knowledge, when it comes to high-quality questioning in the classroom, when it comes to professional development around instructional strategies that connect to depth of knowledge, Eric Francis is your guy. I've had the good fortune of meeting with Eric in person a handful of times. We were together at the NCMLE conference in 2023, and we've run into each other in the airport, honestly, a few times, and uh, had dinner here in Omaha uh, not too long ago. Eric's a great guy, and I will tell you this, he is he's an international author, he's an educator, a presenter, a professional development provider, and he has over 25 years of experience in education. His books include Deconstructing Depth of Knowledge, a Method and Model for deeper teaching and learning, inquiring minds want to learn, posing good questions to promote student inquiry, which is his brand new book coming here very soon in the spring of 2024, and the book, Now That's a Good Question, How to Promote Cognitive Rigor Through Classroom Questioning. Eric is also the owner of Maverick Education, providing professional development guidance and support on how to plan and provide teaching and learning experiences that are standards-based socially and emotionally supportive, and student responsive. Eric is consistently listed as one of the world's top 30 educational professionals by the international research organization Global Gurus and a top 25 thought leader. He also, honestly, is a guy that I consider a friend and somebody that I had a wonderful conversation with recently. You're going to hear the entire thing right on the other side of this. Hello, middle-level educators. Are you looking for a nationwide type of conference at the fraction of the cost? The North Carolina Association for Middle-Level Education welcomes you to Charlotte, North Carolina, March 24th through the 26th for the 2024 NCMLE Inspire Conference. My name is David James, NCMLE Marketing and Conference Director, and I want to personally invite you to our annual conference. You will not want to miss our keynote and featured speakers that lead over 120 middle-specific teaching and learning sessions. Our featured speaker lineup includes EDU experts from across the country, such as principal and leadership expert Baruti Kefele, Charles Williams, LaQuanta Nelson, Zach Bowermaster, and the host of the Leaning Into Leadership podcast, Dr. Darren Peppard. The NCMLE Inspire Conference is for everyone. 
Go to ncmle.org to register your team for the 2024 NCMLE Inspire Conference today. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get on to the episode. So one of the cool things that comes with the, I guess, profession that I have chosen to to move into in the last couple of years is building and growing relationships and making connections with other people that are in that professional development space. When I very first jumped into this space, man, I felt like, ooh, hey, you know, if I can help solve this problem or if I can help solve that problem, um, eventually you discover, lean into what you're really really good at. For me, culture and climate, leadership development, that's what I'm really good at. When people ask me questions about a variety of topics, I've got people that I can say, hey, here's your go-to. So when people ask me about quality instruction in the classroom, specifically things around depth of knowledge, around rigor, and around questioning, without without hesitation. I tell them, well, the person to talk to is my guest on the show today, Mr. Eric Francis. Eric, thank you so much for joining me here on Leaning Into Leadership. Darren, thank you very much for having me. Um, we've been talking about this for a long time, and I'm glad we can make the schedule connect and uh, have a conversation. We have a great conversations off air, but I'm looking to have a greater one even on air. Yeah, absolutely, man. I, I'm, I'm super stoked to to just pick your brain a little bit. You know, over the last several months, the um, the the group that that I have the opportunity and the blessing to coach uh, school leaders from all over the country, we have so many so many conversations around instruction. We have conversations around student outcomes. We have you know a, a variety of different conversations and. A couple of times, I've just reached out to you and said, okay, hey, I need a little bit more here. You know, help me with this. So to have the opportunity today to pick your brain uh, with the record button hit and then to be able to share it with my listeners, I think is awesome. So really quick before we go too far, rewind a decade or two, kind of like frame for everybody who's listening right now, um, who Eric Francis is, kind of how... How do we how do we go from you know beginning teacher to the maverick in education? <laughs> I like that the maverick. I, it's it's funny that you know I've, I've heard people say that before. It's actually also you know making my inner fifteen year old smile since one of my favorite movies is Top Gun, and you yeah. know I've I've always been a Tom Cruise fan. You know when everyone you know jumped off the train when he jumped the couch, I stayed on it. So but. Uh, <laughs> Well, you know, it's interesting that because it was about 11, 12 years ago that I started on this path. You know, the interesting thing is that it was not a goal and it was not an option. It just kind of fell in my lap. Um, you know, this idea of becoming a professional development provider, uh, lack of a better word. I'm not crazy about the term consultant. I think sometimes the word consultant kind of infers and suggests a lot of things that are not positive. I like to say that I'm more of like a professional education specialist. And um, now I was just a classroom teacher. Uh, it was a second career. 
uh, first worked in the film industry and uh, realized that wasn't the greatest thing. So I became a teacher in about 1995 and went from classroom teacher, site administrator, worked at the State Department of Education, in Arizona. Uh, that was a great experience learning about policy, learning about law. Gave a real interesting perspective of leadership because a lot of times we, when we're in districts, we look up at the leadership. This was looking down at the school leadership, at the district leadership, and it was just really interesting to see from a state education agency standpoint what that looked like. Um, then people just started suggesting, hey, you should go out on your own, do consulting, you know, and 2012, I made the leap. Worked, uh, did it, didn't do a full leap. I had an anchor job at a local charter organization while I consulted on the side, and then just started, you know, presenting at conferences. Got a little bit of a following there, got interest there. Had people come up to me saying, Do you ever think about writing a book? Wrote one. Uh, then during the pandemic, wrote my second book, uh, Deconstructing Depth of Knowledge, and now I'm working on my third. And uh, yeah, I'm just blessed to say that, you know been doing this now for next year is going to be 13 years. And uh, just really, really blessed to say that, uh, you know, I've been able to do this as long as I have and people are willing to listen and learn. I guess that's the great thing about it. Yeah, absolutely, man. And, and, you know, one thing, one thing you didn't bring up, you mentioned the state of Arizona, which um, I actually started my teaching career in 1995 in the state of Arizona. So, so what, what really interesting that, that you and I, uh, began our career in the same, at least in the same state. I was up in the northwest part, up in Kingman, but uh, but okay. nonetheless, um, you know, certainly those Arizona those Arizona ties, and, and a guy who lives in one of my favorite cities in America. Um, not long ago, spent some time in Scottsdale, uh, where where you live. Just mm-hmm. such a beautiful, beautiful place to uh, to go and hang out. Brutal in the summer, but that's all right. (laughs) It's a dry heat, as we call it. You know, that's right. Yeah. The difference is, is that like right now it's winter, and you know, you look out your window, you're going to see that snow. You're going to look and say, "Wow, it's just nasty out there, nasty cold." The misleading thing about Arizona is that you go out in the summer and go, "Wow, it looks beautiful," and you walk out, and every drop of water in your body just kind of shrivels up and shrivels out of you. You got to get inside with that air conditioning or just spend the day, you know, cooling down the pool. The crazy thing is I actually work out, uh, exercise outside in the summer around uh, 11 to two o'clock in the afternoon because I just get my sweat on and, you know, work out hard and just, you know, every 20 minutes I'm just dunking in the pool and coming out dry off and dunk back in, get back out and get some good sunscreen, get some good color, you know, get a good tan. And there you uh, go. Yeah. So it's, it's, Arizona's interesting, you know, there's, this state could be greater than it is right now um, when it comes to education. And, uh, you know, it's sometimes kind of disappointing to see because, you know, we're not ranked very well. And um, I, I, I think this state has a lot of potential to be greater than, than it is. And, you know, hopefully at some point it will be. You know, I always felt that way. Uh, I spent 11 years in Arizona and felt like, you know, with with some – some changes in um, policy, some changes in perspective. You should be able to recruit so well 
Um, and, and typically Arizona recruits well, you just don't retain, you know, people, mm-hmm. people want to go, you know, right out of college. Hey, I want to go live in Arizona like I did. And then after a while mm-hmm. you say, okay, I'm gonna go back home. But anyway, we're, we're, we're not sponsored by the Arizona tourism board. If we, if no, we were, by the way, they probably would have just fired us. But, uh, <laughs> but anyway, we're, we're actually, we're actually going to talk about, uh, we're, we're going to talk about some of the, the things that, that you do, uh, some of the things that we, that, you know, educationally that, that we have in common. I, I want to go um, back to something that you said and maybe have you elaborate on it just a little bit because I know um, it's become a, a pretty big deal and I know it's certainly a launching pad for you into the work you're doing now. Let's talk about that first book. Um, I know it's been translated into a bunch of languages and, and all of that kind of stuff. It's super exciting uh, to watch the journey of that book, but it leads into a topic that I really want to talk about. So just maybe uh, maybe talk a little bit about that first book. Okay. Well, the first book was called Now That's a Good Question. Uh, it was published by ASCD. Uh, it was based on the way, two things, the way I taught and the way I see things. Like I look at life through a lens of questioning. Um, it's, it's what gets me engaged. It gets me encouraged. And what I tell people is that it's not what is a good question that we need to be focusing on. It's what does a good question do? So in education, we typically do three things. We present information, we provide instructions, and we pose questions, but we pose questions primarily for assessment. And what's interesting is that what we think is a question is often not a question. Like I'm going to say straight up right now, test questions are not questions. They are items and tasks and activities that might be phrased as an interrogative statement, but it's not a question. What we really need to do is we need to get back to questioning to learn what we do when we're between the age of two and five. I mean, if you've ever been with a two or two year old, uh, between two and five year old, what's the question they always ask? Why? And they question to learn. It's not that they want the answers is that they want this to be addressed. They want to develop understanding. When we go to school, questioning changes. You know, questioning is actually how children and adults interact from the time children learn to speak. And we go to school, now it's the adults who are asking the questions. And it's more so for the purpose of answering an assessment. So what I say is what a good question does, it stimulates different levels of thinking. I don't believe in high order, lower order thinking. I believe in just good thinking. And I believe that if you get someone to think, if you get someone to actively engage, that's important. doesn't matter if it's remembered. It doesn't matter if it's create. Also, good question. You can use it to check for and confirm learning, but also you're using it to expand knowledge and extend thinking. So if I asked you, how did Edgar Allan Poe create an entire genre of literary fiction? I'm not asking you that to assess your learning. I'm asking you to activate and advance your learning and actually say, hey, this is what we're going to be thinking about or augment your learning to expand on it. You also ask questions of peak curiosity, interest, imagination, and wonder. So hopefully that question prompted you to want to learn more because it's interesting. And we also ask questions to encourage students to express and share their knowledge and feeling and dispositions and thinking in their own unique way. Good questions also are and to be asked to prompt reflection before responding. And it's also how we present the instructional focus. So instead of saying, I can fluently multiply multi-digit numbers using a standard algorithm, 
what I suggest is you change the I can statement or put in front of a statement of objective, which is more of a command or a directive, one or three question stems. If I ask, how do you, how do you fluently multiply multi-digit numbers using a standard algorithm? Now that question's for assessment. If I asked, how can you fluently multiply multi-digit numbers using a standard algorithm? Now it's instructional. Now I would use that instead of my learning target. But if I ask, how could you, how could you multiply multi-digit numbers using a standard algorithm? Now I'm encouraging inquiry because the student is now going, huh, let me think about that. Wait a minute. What do you mean a standard algorithm? Are you telling me there's more than one? That's the simplest way to turn your standards into good questions. But how do you, how can you, or how could you in front of that objective? And you got a good question. The other thing is a lot of times the question is hidden inside the standard. You have to look for the question word or what's inferred as the question stem. So if I ask you, understand how the successes and failures of the Artist Confederation led to the writing of the United States Constitution, well, there's a question word there, how? I'll just drop the cognitive action verb, understand, and now I have, how did the writing of the Articles of Confederation or the success and failures of Article for Confederation lead to the writing of the United States Constitution? Now I have a standards-based question. I'm not giving you multiple choice. I'm not giving you activities. I'm not giving you a bunch of math items underneath it. You have a question that the kids can not only demonstrate, but also discuss the depth and extent of their learning. And I think moving forward, that's how we need to move forward when it comes to assessment. These items, I compare them to pitches in baseball. You know, you get thrown a good pitch, you get thrown a bad pitch. True learning is not just comprehension, but also communication and contextual. So can we get the kids to not only answer, but also explain justify or verify or explore and extend how they can use their learning by communicating. It doesn't matter if you know that 542 times 398 equals 215,716. Don't be impressed. I have a calculator. That's how I know the answer. But the deeper learning is, do I understand that multiplication is repeated addition? And that problem means I am adding or grouping 542 to itself 398 times or adding and grouping 398 to itself 542 times. That's true deep understanding. And I'm using that problem as my example to support my learning instead of as the evidence of learning. So you hit some pieces in there that are, are going to take us to a deeper conversation around depth of knowledge. You, you hit so many pieces in there that I want to go at. But I want to stay on the questioning thing for just just a little bit longer and mm -hmm. now take this from the teacher in the classroom to the administrator or instructional coach coming in to observe in the classroom, coming in to support, to coach, to, to grow classroom teachers. If I'm coming in specifically focused on the quality of questions that are being asked in the classroom, what are some things you share with administrators, with instructional coaches, or some guidance around how we can give feedback 
specific to questioning in a classroom? You know, one of the things I say is it's not the question that you ask, it's what you do with the question. So let's do something together here. So if I said to you, who's the first president of the United States? You would say to me, George Washington. And I'd say, what do you mean? Okay. I, I would tell you that he was the, the first person who was put in the position of being the president of the United States. And how was he put in that deeper with that? Right. How was he put into that position? You're right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, Well, most people say he was elected to that position. Historians would say, well, he wasn't really elected. He was appointed. Um, Well, there's some element to that because then I would say, well, what if I told you that there were eight presidents who were appointed before Washington under the Articles of Confederation? See my delivery there? I said, what if I told you? Okay. A lot of times when we teach, like, again, we present information, we provide instruction. But when if I say, what if I told you, and then I just state what I was going to say, now I'm inviting you into the instruction. Now I'm inviting you into the conversation. The biggest thing I see is not so much what's the question the teachers are asking, but how are the kids reacting and responding to it? Um, again, the, the, what I like to say is the rigor is in the response. I talk about that with depth of knowledge, and I talk about that with questioning that at a level one, you're attaining the answer. So if I asked you, what is two plus two, you would say? Four. Right, that's a level one. But now I'm gonna say, what do you mean? Okay, that's the best question. Actually, that question, my father taught me that question because, and you're gonna laugh at this as an instruction, as a, as a um, administrative leader, instructional leader, I got a parent complaint once and this parent was going to rake me over the coals and I wasn't following, I think, any of the acronyms of the three letter words in education, according to this parent. Well, I was. And I went to my dad. I'm like, boy, this parent's going to really rake me over the coals. He goes, did you do anything wrong? And I said, no. He goes, every time she says something, respond with what do you mean? Ask what do you mean? And I said, why? He goes, because you can't just throw out answers. You can't just throw out taste statements. You need examples and evidence. So. We get into this thing and this meeting and I'm going into my principal's office. Temperature drops about 10 degrees when I walk in. My principal says, we're gathered here today. <laughs> go, Wait a minute. And he said, you know, you have, parent, you have some complaints against Mr. Francis. Would you like to share them? So she starts off. You don't like my child. What do you mean? You're mean to him. What do you mean? You're not sensitive to his needs. What do you mean? You're not, uh, you know, very, very uh, concerning about his issues. What do you mean? It goes on for about five minutes. So then she finally says to me, why do you keep on asking me what do you mean? And I said, because I need examples and evidence for what you're saying so I can either explain myself or apologize to you. So then she tells me, you're not following the 504, which I actually arranged for this student. What do you mean? You're not letting him turn his homework whenever he wants. What do you mean? You're, 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 you're counting against him when he doesn't do his work or he's not participating. What do you mean? So then finally, we got to the core of it. My child doesn't like you anymore, doesn't think you're funny, and wants out of your class. That was the core of it. And I said, what do you mean? And my principal, he's, he's laughing. He's, he's like, he goes like, so we used to have like professional development on uh, Tuesdays. And he goes, all right, you know what? I am throwing out my, what I was going to do. You were totally training everybody on that. So that's the best question. Anytime a student gives you an answer, what do you mean? 
You want them to communicate. You want them to elaborate. You want them to expand. You want to do this to assess what they know. So that's even going from a DOK1 to DOK2 that we talk about. You give me the answers to DOK1. But when you explain how you got that answer, that's a DOK2. The other thing I often do is say, give the kids the answer and ask the kids, why is it correct or incorrect? I used to love to do that when I taught math. I would give them... I, actually, my math assessment, when I taught math, I used to give the kids the answer key for the assessment. And I said, here's your test. Why are all those answers correct? And it was so funny because the kids would go, what, what do you mean what do we have to do here? I said, well, what do you want? I gave you the answers. You just got to tell me why it's correct. You know, especially in English language arts, because there's always more than one theme to the story. So I give the kids a theme and I say, well, how does the book address that theme? And then what they would do is, is that they have to go look for the evidence. So again, it's about who's doing the communicating. You know, if the, if the student, if the teacher just keeps on talking the way I am kind of now, if the teacher just keeps on talking, <laughs> then that's instruction, but inquiries with question. And inquiry for a teacher is like fly fishing. Like I can't tell you, like every question I ask does not get answered. A lot of times I get the crickets and it's about establishing a relationship in the room. I mean, the kids, when I ask questions, it's not like they automatically go, Ooh, okay. Now I want to engage in discussion. They had to get used to this because they're not used to it, but it's like fly fishing. Like I throw this question out. I throw this question out. I throw this question out. Like when I was teaching history once I said, why did uh, Teddy Roosevelt start the U S forestry division? And nobody knew the answer. And I said, well, isn't it kind of odd that a big game hunter, would start a uh, federal um, branch of the government or federal office of the government that uh, was about nature conservation. And no one's responding. I go, well, what if I told you it's because he encountered a Sasquatch in the Pacific Northwest and he hunted it down, he lost it. And three things went through his mind. You know, back in the day, they lived like Ted Nugent. You grill, you kill it, you grill it. And then there were fur traders who are shooting animals and selling fur, but it wasn't really fur. So you might think you have a mink coat, but you really have, you know, Bigfoot or Harry from the Harry Henderson's. And I said, he was also concerned about um, what Buffalo Bill did. And kids would go, I said, what did Buffalo Bill do? What did he hunt to a distinction? They go, Buffalo. I go, do we have Buffalo? We have bison in America. Oh, we have bison. See what I mean? See, I'm using questioning to basically even yeah. self-correct. So then I told the kids that that's why he encountered it because uh, he, he started this uh, division because he encountered a Sasquatch. And the kids are like, oh, get out of here. I go, go look it up on Google. Okay, Google's our friend because it gives us all the answers. I mean, you and I grew up in a time where we had to actually go out and get answers or trust our elders to give us the answer. Now answers right. come free. You know, the kids have to understand, try to figure out whether that answer is accurate, appropriate, acceptable, or a bunch of flotsam and jetsam. But when they did the Google search, they found actually that wasn't the reason. But Teddy Roosevelt wrote a book in 1898 called The Wilderness Hunter. And it was an incident called the Bauman Incident. And what happened is, is it tells a story about a fur trader whose camp was attacked by these ape-like creatures. And it was based and the creatures were this Native American mythological creature they called the, the Sasquatch. Now, this is 1898. I mean, we didn't know and call it Bigfoot until the 1940s when uh, up in, uh, I think it was, uh, it was Humboldt, uh, California, Humboldt County. And yeah. kids were so drawn in and they're like, I said, is that the reason? And they said, well, no. And I go, but isn't this fascinating? Oh, yeah. 
And they said to me, can we read it? And I go, well, if you find the book and you know these digital natives, they'll find anything online. They found it. We read it. But again, it's what you do with that question. So my my suggestion, I always make this statement when I give a coaching thing. It's uh, from a Peloton instructor uh, named Dennis Morton. He says, I make suggestions, you make decisions. So my suggestion, you make a decision. Is every, child that gives you, every time a child gives you the answer, ask, what do you mean? If you want to go even deeper, give the kids the answer and ask, why is it correct or incorrect? When you're lecturing, say, what if I told you instead of giving the information? And the other thing I say is to get the kids talking, you got to have them talk amongst themselves. I call it the Linda Richmond from the old Senate Live skit with Mike Myers. Remember, I'm feeling very verklempt. Talk amongst yourselves. Oh, yeah. I'll give you a yeah. Rhode Island is neither yeah. a road nor an island. Do you agree or disagree? You know, so that's what I do. So I say if the kids aren't responding or if you feel like you're talking too much, that's when you say, I'm getting verklempt. Talk amongst yourself. And it's really funny because I was working with a school district. I taught the teachers that. And the superintendent calls me and he goes, I got to talk to you. And I said, okay, come in. He goes, I'm getting parent calls about my teachers getting verklempt. And I go, what do you mean? He goes, well, the kids will go home. And I go, what'd you do today? Oh, mom, my teacher just keeps on getting me verklempt and making me asking these questions. So I had to show the skit and everything. So that's another technique there. So again, every time you give an answer, kid gives an answer, say, what do you mean? Give them the answer and ask them, why is it correct or incorrect? When you're lecturing, say instead of this is the fact, what if I told you and then get verklempt and say, talk amongst yourselves? There you go, folks. That is a like huge masterclass right there. <laughs> uh, you could probably pay a lot of money to have Eric come to your district and say the exact same thing in in front of the <laughs> teachers, and you got to you got to listen to it uh, for free. But uh, that doesn't mean you still shouldn't bring him into your district and have him talk to your teachers. You absolutely should. So, um, so I that was a that was a lot on the questioning piece but but I'm glad that you went with all of that because I think that's such an important element and I you know I know that's one of the things that I have really been stressing with uh, with administrators and with teachers you know for for quite some time that it begins with just asking really good questions I mean I think the same thing is true you and I were talking before we hit the hit the record button today. Um, I had a wonderful conversation with an assistant principal uh, in a in a building that I support not too long ago who was working with some veteran teachers and just really struggled with how do I help a veteran teacher who's really, really good at their craft? You know, as administrators, we go in, we do an observation, we do an evaluation, and then we're, you know, we're supposed to sit down and give them constructive feedback and help them continue to grow. And And the truth is, Eric, you know this, I think you, you have one living in your house. Our master teachers are the ones who want the most feedback. They're the ones who want more. Tell me more. How do I get better? And, you know, this, this individual was working with, with several of those, of those teachers and I remember telling him, you know, just just ask good questions. Um, I think the questioning piece is just as important when we're working with growing our teachers as it is with us, with our students. Number one, it models exactly what you were just talking about. You know, in many, many cases, our best teachers already have the answers. They, they just need somebody to listen. They just need somebody to help them dig a little bit deeper. 
uh, reinforce some of the things that they already know, or simply just to help them work it out a little bit. So uh, I love the what do you mean? Um, I love that strategy. I think that's really, really powerful. I think just the bottom line is we just need to be curious, right? The more our teachers are curious, the more our administrators are curious, the more ultimately I think that leads to our kids being curious. And I see you sitting forward like, like you're ready to jump in on this one. So go for it. Oh, no, no, no. I'm sitting because I'm curious and I'm listening about it. And that's a specific thing I want to make sure we say, what do you mean? And it's not to challenge. Okay. That's the converse. Right. Okay. That's, that's me saying, I want to learn more uh, using questions. Some people don't like that. You know, some people, even like yeah. people in the question world, it's like, they, you know, can you elaborate on that? Can you tell us more? You know, when I do stuff like that, can you elaborate on that? Can you tell us more? You know, what I can say to you, no. Okay. Or right. how do you know? I just know. You know, and, and and how do you know is actually more like I think it's more challenging, confrontational than than collaborative. You know, when you talk also about the veteran teachers, I think sometimes, you know, when we do things, we we sometimes think and I and even as a PD person, I have to even be careful to this is that there are some teachers who just they're, they're just great, you know, and, and they're producing the results and 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 they're really great at what they do how do we tap into that how do we tap into that greatness because a lot of times it's really funny when you think about professional development there we come at the teachers like you need this no they don't you know the kids need it the teachers don't okay the teachers should want it okay that's the thing I'm even seeing about there. And I even look at my professional development and saying, okay, why would the teachers want this? Okay. Why would you 30 years in, you know, kind of like the same amount of time probably you and I have been teaching. Okay. Why would you want to change? Why would you want to use? And I think that's the thing is that tapping into that, we know the kids need this. And this is a conversation I'm starting to have with school leaders is that, I asked the school leaders, you, you agree that the kids need this, right? And I go, yeah, the kids definitely need this. Like when I talk about questioning or, or depth of knowledge or standards driven learning, you really agree the kids need this. Yeah. Okay. Well, why would the teachers want this? Well, they should want this. Well, yeah, we all should want something, but why would they want this? And, and that's something, I mean, I've been, we'll talk about this even later, probably when we talk about, you know, how I'm leading you know, I'm reading a lot of Simon Sinek, and one of the great analogies he gives is about, uh, from a business perspective, TiVo. That TiVo introduced the technology of DVR, digital video recording, which we have in all our cable yeah. systems now. But they failed as a business model because they came at you and said, hey, you need this. And because this device is going to make you pause live TV, you're not going to have to program a VCR, or put it in a tape. It's just going to store it. And it's also going to give you recommendations based upon your viewing habits. You need this. And a lot of the audience said, no, I don't. But how do we approach that differently? Like if I came and said, man, don't you hate it when you got to get up or a phone call comes in, you're on live TV and don't you just wish you could pause it and just get back to it? Yeah, I really wish that. Or don't you hate it where, you know, you got to program that VCR and maybe you don't have a tape and you don't program it correctly. Oh, yeah, I hate that. 
or or maybe you know you gotta look at a cable guy what if you know you were just based upon what you like you could get some recommendations based upon the time and make sure that you're programming it to watch it oh i'd love that well i got the device for you see the difference in that so absolutely you maybe want that instead of telling me i needed it yeah and that's i think sometimes the hard part when it comes to professional development this is something i'm actually thinking about a lot lately because look i'm gonna be honest with you i get pushback sometimes and i get pushback where a teacher's like i i don't want this and because i don't want it i don't feel like i need it and i go i agree with you you don't need it but your kids need it how can i get you to want it you know how can i help you understand so that's why i talk about and i talk about even like my why so i'd say that my why is to ensure that teaching and learning is standards-based socially emotionally supportive and student responsive so that the experience is academic and effective not e effective for all not just the kids but the teachers everyone all the stakeholders and that's the thing is that affective. When we talk about affective learning, that's we commonly call that social emotional learning because we're talking about how we react and respond to uh, social stimuli or even academic stimuli, academic learning. And that's something I'm really focused on. And that's what I'm really looking at. And when I go into PDs these days, like, okay, w- what would make the teacher want this? Even at this time of year, like I'm getting called in the first time PD after January, which is not ideal. But why would the teachers want this at this point in the year? And that's what really I'm thinking about a lot when it comes when it comes to that, about the questions, how we use our questions, asking what do you mean to converse, not challenge. That's what it's really been a lot on my mind and, and my what I've been focused yeah. on lately. Well, absolutely. And I think that is something I'm really glad that you talk about that because I think as school level leaders, as district level leaders, Obviously, professional development, professional learning is a part of educational culture, and it should be. But the approach that we choose to take as leaders is critical. Um, I had this conversation looping back into the state of Arizona. A former former student athlete of mine is now an assistant Mm -hmm. principal. And about a year ago, she and I had a conversation. She's a rookie administrator at the time. And she said, you know, Pep, I'm frustrated. Um, I I can't get my teachers to do what I know they need to do. The data tells us what they need to do. But I, I, I see it, but I can't get them to see it. And I remember telling her, you know, sometimes you have to let them discover the need. You know, those those conversations around data can't simply be, well, this is what I see. Well, this is what Eric sees. You know, it, it needs to be they discover it. And I think when we get into the why would a teacher want this, they have to see the reason behind it. So so leaders, take what Eric said, really take that to heart and think about how are you taking the the need that's clearly there. You'll see something and you'll say, man, I really need... I need Eric Francis here to talk about DOK and questioning, or I need Darren Peppard here to talk about culture and climate. But isn't it more powerful if the teachers are saying, we really need somebody to come support us on DOK? And that's when you say, oh, I know the guy. you know, Or you reach out to me on whatever the topic is. Darren, I need somebody on fill in the blank. Hey, I'll tell you who it is. I'll connect you to that person. 
right? right. Or, and, or you reach out to Eric and Eric says, I know who the person is, or maybe exactly. Eric is the person, right? Yeah. But maybe it's, it's the way like, you know, what teachers need and what teachers want. Okay, teachers need to feel validated and respected professionally and professionally. They need to be heard. They need to be acknowledged for their professionalism in the classroom and their professional abilities. They also need to be listened to, especially when they're frustrated, especially if things aren't working out. Um, I think we need to really focus with PD that the kids need it. Yeah, 100%. So we're, we're at that point in the show, Eric, where uh, I'm going to put you in the hot seat. Uh, not that you've okay. been in the hot seat at all this, this far along. But um, the, the same question I ask everybody here on the Leaning Into Leadership podcast to kind of wrap up the episode, um, just very simply said, how are you leaning into leadership right now? Simon Sinek's why. Everything I'm doing is I am starting with why and I'm finding the why. You know, um, I, I, you know, I go back to this. I mean, I heard about it when I was um, years ago, but I was in a busy doing other things. But during the pandemic, I really took a deep dive into it and that I'm always trying to figure out what's the why, what's the why behind everything I'm doing and how I'm doing it. And, and, and even that why looking at that from a teacher standpoint, and I think looking at it from the standpoint of, I think what I'm leading more so is I'm leading more in saying that kids need the academic and, and we really got to focus on that. I mean, there's a lot of things I know there's a lot of things about social emotional learning right now. I just think that comes sometimes naturally as a teacher, the empathy, the, 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 the uh, encouragement, the, the sensitivity. I mean, if you don't have that, you may want to consider another profession, you know, but you know, I really think the kids need a lot of the academic. I think a lot of kids need to understand the academic through an effective lens where basically how can they react, respond, and realize what they're learning. And, but I think, you know, when I work with teachers, because I work more with teachers and kids, that's how I'm leading. I'm trying to understand that why. I'm trying to understand why are you being the way you're being? What is it that you want? What do you bring in your room? I mean, one of the things that's helped me a lot, and, you know, I got this actually from my mom who was saying about show empathy is that we don't know what that teacher is bringing in the room when they react and respond to this way. So it could be situational. Maybe they got a speeding ticket before they came to our professional development. You know, maybe they got in a fight with their someone in their family or significant other or spouse or whatever, and they're bringing that into the room. The other thing is there's a book, I think it's called Whatever Happened to You, and I read it, and I was suggested this. Um, it's an Oprah book. It talks about triggers in people and how people can bring out these triggers. So there's a story about a little boy who was just very disruptive and, and just horrible in all behavior, all the classes in elementary school. So what do we traditionally do? Well, let's put him with a male teacher. Well, he got worse. And the reason why they got worse is they found out that the male teacher was wearing the same um, aftershave or cologne as the family member who was sexually abusing them. So sometimes, you know, when I do that and I work with teachers, I say, okay, well, what, and I take it on me, like, why are they acting this way? What is it about me that's bringing that out? Maybe I remind them of their husband, their ex-husband, their boyfriend, their ex-boyfriend, their father, their, their, their brother, someone that hurt them in their life. Maybe there's a celebrity they can't stand and I'm triggering that. Or maybe it's something I said 
that gets taken out of context. Oh my gosh, I can't tell you how many times I've said something where, you know, the old uh, analogy of I can walk on water and everyone says, well, it's because you can't swim, you know? And, and I think that's how I'm leading. I'm trying to make it more lead with empathy and, and lead with why, teach with why, why are we doing this? Why are you acting that way? And then understanding that, but also being willing to say, hey, this is not me. This is you. I respect you for who you are. I respect you for what you, you do. I respect you for how you feel. We got to maintain a little bit of professionalism here, though. We can agree to disagree, respect. That's why I think my, my leading, you know, when you talk about leaning into leadership, I'm leaning a lot with why in almost everything in my decisions. Awesome, man. I love it so much. So um, really quick here as we wrap up, I know you have a new book coming out. Um, mm -hmm. Just give us a quick a quick little peek at what that book is and then let people know how do they get in touch with Eric Francis. Awesome. The book is called Inquiring Minds Want to Learn, um, how to uh, promote, uh, pose good questions, promote student inquiry. I remember that because Solution Tree came up with the title and it's a great title. I mean, that's the hard part sometimes with title and I really love that. So this is, again, it's another questioning book, but this is now how do you phrase and pose the questions to prompt and promote inquiry and how can you develop and deliver inquiry-based teaching and learning experiences that you use questions not to assess, but you activate in advance. And it makes it very, again, that why. It ensures that teaching and learning is standards-based. You're gonna learn how to turn your standards into questions. Social emotional supportive, you're gonna learn how to use questioning to support students to rise to reach and go beyond uh, the expectations set by standards or even themselves. And it's also student responsive because it's always about putting it to the student. You're asking the question not to assess, you're acting, asking the question to activate in advance. You're acting, asking to engage. So that's gonna come out with some solution tree. And um, right now it's scheduled April, 2024. Um, it's, all, it's, it's a compliment to my first book because the first book, now that's a good question, was about what are those questions we can ask Deconstructing depth of knowledge not only demystifies all the misinformation, misinterpretation of that concept, but also how can we use that as a method and model for delivering instruction, responding to an intervention, extending and enriching student learning, and addressing and assessing learning loss. I turned DOK into an RTI. Um, we can do a whole different episode on that if you want. And yeah, for sure. this is actually the trilogy, in the trilogy. So now it's like, what are the questions? How do we teach and learn for cognitive demand through depth of knowledge? Now, how do we use question to get students to demonstrate and discuss their depth of knowledge? So that's kind of the trilogy. And um, maybe there'll be a, a four-part series. I'm thinking about another book. There right you go. I love it. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Really quick. They want to get in touch with you. How do they find you? Well, my website is uh, Maverick, M-A-V-E-R-I-K. No C in Maverick. I'm not Tom Cruise. As much as I look, you know, enjoy him. Um, if you say put a C in Maverick, you're going to go to India because someone took the webpage. <laughs> so it's m a v e r i k education.com. Um, on Twitter, I'm or X or whatever you call it, I'm Maverick m a v e r i k e d u one two. Um, if you go to my webpage and you want to contact me, there's a little chat bot on the bottom. You can text me like text me questions or text me things and, and I'll respond. Uh, it just goes right to my phone. And um, 
yeah, that's pretty much, you know, mavericheducation.com, maverickedu12 on Twitter. And, uh, you know, email me at eric, E-R-I-K, at maverick, M-A-V-E-R-I-K, education.com. We'll hyperlink all that stuff in the show notes, folks. So make sure you get in touch with my buddy, Eric Francis. Uh, Eric, thank you so much for joining me here on Leaning Into Leadership. Darren, thank you for having me. All right, folks, excellent conversation there with my buddy, Eric Francis. Make sure you hit the links down there in the show notes and keep your eyes peeled for his new book, Inquiring Minds Want to Learn. That'll be out later this spring. And now it's time for a pep talk. Earlier this week, I was in a school, actually here in the Omaha area, and it's a school that I've been working with for almost two years now, have spent quite a bit of time in that school and in quite a few of the classrooms. And one of the classrooms that I went into the other day, I noticed, uh, we were there for about the last 10 minutes of the class period, and I noticed the classroom arrangement was different than I had seen before. And after the class period was over, I had a conversation with the teacher and I just asked her very simply, you know, why the new seating arrangement? And you know what she told me? I just saw it was super profound and I just want to share it with you because what it calls out is make sure we're willing to look at things differently. She said, you know, this is an arrangement I've never used before. I was really intentional with wanting access to different parts of the room and to different students. She said, also, this is a class that is a semester class, and I typically would start the school semester, either the beginning of the year or the beginning of the semester, with an alphabetical seating chart. And it dawned on me that these kids probably get tired of sitting right next to the same kids all the time based on the alphabet. So she completely changed that up. Um, what I found really inspiring was that this teacher was taking something that can be so mundane and so just routine and looking at it differently and saying, you know what, I'm going to change the arrangement. And honestly, it's an arrangement I've never seen this particular type of a layout in a classroom before, and I loved it. She also told me that, you know, hey, kids are going to be giving speeches here not too far down the road, so I'll be changing the arrangement again so that I can then bring the standing, uh, standing desk up into the front of the room for kids when they are doing their speeches. Again, room arrangement is something that can be very mundane. It can be extremely routine. You know, we've all seen the, the photos of the you know, classroom of the 1920s and the classroom of today in the straight rows. And, oh, wow, nothing has changed. You don't have to do it in straight rows. Now, I'm not saying that you should change if you're in straight rows. If it works for you, it works for you. But being willing to change some things and look at things a little bit differently Thinking about ways that you can access different students during the course of your class period or through the course of your day and optimizing the setup of your room to make a difference for student learning. What a powerful, powerful piece. Just one cool takeaway from me this week. That is my pep talk for you. Thank you so much for joining me here on Leaning Into Leadership. I had a great time with this conversation with Eric Francis, and I hope you did too. Have a road to awesome week. Thank you for listening to the Leaning into Leadership podcast brought to you by Road to Awesome. Don't forget, click subscribe, give a review, and share this with somebody who might also enjoy leaning into leadership.